A Reboot Peer Group is a hand-selected group of entrepreneurs and leaders who meet in supportive Reboot Coach facilitated sessions twice a month. So what are these groups really like? We asked a peer group member to share his experience. Hi, my name is Bobby Brannigan. I'm co-founder and CEO at Mercado. One of the biggest challenges that I face as an entrepreneur has been navigating the waters of solving hard problems while under extreme stress. You can't be open and honest with everyone about your business, right? Because you don't want to scare people away. You don't want to get people nervous because that's going to affect their ability to do what they have to do. At the same time, you know, there's not a lot of people that actually could relate to these situations. So having a group you could turn to is extremely beneficial and allows you not only to spend more time thinking about these issues and how to better solve them, but hearing yourself explain them out loud and getting people to question different routes that you might think about taking and and that kind of stuff is invaluable. It's been great to have that group to really think in a much deeper sense with people that are sharing the same challenge and they're really trying to grow and really get out of that comfort zone just as I am. That's been really excellent for me. So who do you turn to? What if you had a community of peers who are committed to supporting you, like Bobby? A group you knew you could always count on. There's great power in knowing you are not alone. Learn more about Reboot's peer groups at reboot.io slash peers. As you point out, the CEO can say things to the coach that they can't say to almost anybody else. But equally important is that relationship that one can have with someone who just gets it. There's a similarity and a universality to the experience that only a peer really, truly grokks. And um, to be able to talk to somebody about that is, uh, you know, incredibly helpful. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Watch carefully the magic that occurs when you give a person just enough comfort to be themselves. Atticus. In the fall of 2013, my startup was circling the drain. We had made a bet to scrap one revenue-generating model in favor of a far riskier swing for the fences. And it was not working at all. The team was barely speaking to each other, and the weight as a co-founder was overwhelming. Thankfully, I always had Tuesday evening. Tuesday night was my space and time to connect with another entrepreneur, someone who really knew the ups and downs, the wins and losses, the challenges of being an entrepreneur. Tuesday night was my space and time to be reminded the weight was real and I wasn't alone in shouldering it. That is what Tuesday evening was for me. There's a saying, behind every great man is a great woman. I would say that behind every great entrepreneur is a great friend, someone who not only accepts their wholeness, but demands it. The entrepreneurial path simply can't be traveled alone. So when Jerry asked Kickstarter CEO and co-founder, Yancey Strickler, who do you turn to? His response was immediate. Ian Hogarth, co-founder and chairman of Songkick. So we're grateful and thrilled to have Yancey, Ian, and Jerry Talk about the importance of peer relationships in entrepreneurship, the relief of being heard by those who can truly empathize with your experience, 
as well as with those who can challenge you from a place of love and deep understanding. So enjoy this conversation between Jerry, Ian Hogarth, and Yancey Strickler about their own version of Tuesday evening. Quick note, this conversation was recorded in early December, and since then, Ian has announced his intention to give up the co-CEO role and focus more on his role as chairman at Songkick. I'd encourage everyone to read his very well-written blog post on his transition, which you can find along with quotes and other key links on our website at reboot.io slash podcast. Hey guys, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Ian, Yancey, it's really, really a pleasure to have you on the show today. Before we get started, why don't you both take a moment and just sort of introduce yourselves, and this way people can sort of associate voices with names and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm Yancey. I'm CEO of Kickstarter. Hi, I'm Ian. Uh, I'm the co-CEO of Songkick.com. And, and yeah, tell us a little bit about Songkick. Uh, Songkick is the uh, largest concert discovery service in the world with about 10 million fans using us every month. Um, selling tickets for some of the world's biggest artists like Adele, Mumford & Sons, um, and Kenny Chesney. So basically, if I need tickets to a hot show, I can call you? Uh, you, can, you, can, you can call me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll Might not do anything, but... <laughs> there's, there's multiple interesting things in what Ian just said, I just want to point out. Number one, co-CEO. We yes. should talk about that, because Ian has multiple peers. Mm. And another is Adele. Uh, I haven't had the chance to talk to Ian yet since this happened, but Songkick this week sold the tickets for Adele's new, um, yeah, new tour and did it in a like totally new way that seems like it went incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty intense week. As you guys both know, I mean, Adele is the biggest artist in the world by quite a long way right now. She just blew past recorded music tallies that were set like 15 years ago. And um, she's partnered with us to sell tickets to her, you know, recently announced tour. And the tour is, is obviously huge just because she's, you know, such a, you know, such a unique artist. But it's particularly huge because she's the highest, um, highest demand artist in the world who hasn't toured for five years. Mm. So the number of people who want tickets to see her live is somewhere between 10 and 100 times the number of available tickets which typically means that they, they end up within about five seconds on the, on the resale market being touted by people for 10 times the value. But we launched some new stuff with her, which is obviously quite an intense thing to do with the biggest tour of the year. Um, but that new stuff worked, and we reduced the amount of tickets on the secondary market about 10x through some proprietary new technology. So it's been a super, super intense week, um, but very, very rewarding to see a new product market working. That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So happy for you. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I want to take note of the fact that Yancey uh, brought us right back to that with a certain amount of pride in your friend. It, isn't that true, Yancey? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's funny. I mean, Ian and I talk a lot about what we do, but Ian, Ian is like uh, just such a proper person and does things the right way. And so he told me about what they were doing, but he didn't tell me who it was with. He just said a major artist. And then when I saw the Adele thing this week, I was like, ah, oh, that's who it was. But he, you know, even, even at a, like a one-on-one -on -one dinner, you know, late, he keeps it, he keeps it clean. So I was just excited to see that news this week. Mm. Uh, and also, you know, it's funny. I mean, even, 
it, it's it's just funny uh, the emotions that come with watching other people succeed. I mean, I think that often, even if it's unrelated to you, there could be feelings of jealousy with seeing other people do well. But you know, with with a friend like this, I mean, when I saw that stuff happen, I was just you know over the moon about it. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's good to give a shout out when you know, when you really can with a clear heart and, and, you know, you really do just feel, you know, really excited by something that someone has, uh, someone has done. I think that's beautifully said, Yancey. And, and uh, part of the reason why I was so interested in having the two of you come on this show was to talk about the experience of being friends with another CEO and, and, and the ways in which uh, we can all gain support just by talking to peers and just having a conversation. And I think you just sort of dove right into it, which is this notion of how does one feel about a friend's success? Because it can invoke all sorts of feelings there. I think, um, I think that, uh, you know, I think that one of the more interesting things about it is that you, you know, Yancy and I don't just, most of the time we don't really, um, you know, we're, we're trying to solve problems that face our business and sort of share challenges we're facing. And so, you know, typically all the really good stuff that's going on, we, we find out about through the press. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally true. (laughs) All the challenging stuff is like the stuff we talk about. And so I think the fact that, you know, you know, the other stuff that's going on with someone's company at any given point in time is also like a really unique amount of context to have when you're, seeing all the stuff play out in public. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, although I had to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, very discreet about who it was you're working with just cause I mean, yeah. it's really such, such an enormous artist. I think in general, I think the, I was thinking about this, you know, what, what we're going to talk about on this call today. And I think, I think the biggest thing for me is that like, as a CEO, you sort of have to like, you have to have all these things in your, in your head that you can't really talk to anyone else about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's unique about having a relationship where you really trust someone who, you know, understands the, the challenges of the role, but or who you can also trust with highly, highly sensitive information is you can kind of like, um, unburden yourself, I suppose, of some mm-hmm. of the, like the, 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 not exactly the weight, but just the fact that things are just ricocheting around your own head and you haven't got an outlet for it. And obviously, there's you know you can do a lot with co-founders and board members, but I think there's a unique you know, and as you know, Jerry is being a coach. You know that a coach's ear hears a different set of things to what a board member can typically hear, and I think a, a peer is is an even even more unique relationship if you have the trust there because you you can share stuff not just as a you can share stuff where you you suspect the, that you know there's a parallel experience going on that you can draw from as well as a maybe a you know more experienced veterans kind of experience you can draw from like a coach. Yeah. I, I think you, again, I think you said it in, incredibly well. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, the, the coach relationship can be very, very uh, helpful because as you point out, the CEO can say things to the coach that they can't say to almost anybody else. But equally important is that relationship that one can have with someone who just gets it because they're, even if their company is in a completely different market, or even as in the case of the two of you, you're in completely different countries, 
there's a similarity and a universality to the experience that only appear really truly grocks. And um, to be able to talk to somebody about that is, you know, incredibly helpful. Tell, tell me, what is it that, so, so you mentioned that you, you tend to turn to each other, not so much to share the good news, but to just sh- share the experiences, the other experiences. What sorts of things have you talked through without going into any details that might be revealing otherwise? I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that we talk about probably looming decisions that maybe we feel nervous about, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just kind of running it through with someone. Um, And, and, you know, just like there's a set of emotions and various, you know, tensions that come with like making a big decision and enacting a big decision that, um, you know, I just, I, I know that Ian implicitly understands, mm-hmm. you know, like there's no need to explain like, yeah. And then once this happens and all these other things, like, I think, you know, we both understand what it is to make a decision in a, in a job like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, it's a lot of that. Um, and then, yeah, I think just probably processing, you know, I mean, it's, sometimes these conversations are yeah not dissimilar to a coach relationship but i think a, a little more um intimate where you know you just kind of want to say something out loud and try to understand what it is that you really think about something you know through talking ab- about it with someone else mm-hmm. um but i i agree with ian that it is about it is about challenges i mean there's that we actually ian and i ian brought this up at this at this the last time we were hanging out just a few, about a month ago in London, uh, a New Yorker profile of Reed Hoffman and talks about how he has meals and it's him and Mark Pincus mm-hmm. having dinner together and they each bring their list of things they want to talk about. But their list is like, I don't know, lobbying the president for something. <laughs> so maybe that's what it's like on the other side, you know, once you're out, you know, once you've made it, that's what it is. I will, uh, I just, for now, yeah, for now it's just, just a challenge. I mean, just to, just to riff on that, like I, my uh, my main point was that we should satirize <laughs> through the contents of the rest of our dinner by being like, "I'm stacking on AI. What are you stacking on?" AI? <laughs> right, right, right. But it I was had, just so transactional. But but yeah. I had a uh, you know after just a couple weeks ago, I I had breakfast with a uh, another peer CEO, someone that he and I are both friends with, and. Um, yeah, it was the same kind of deal. We saw each other. Great to see each other. You know, he's reading like a highly intellectual book that I immediately bought and was fantastic. And we just sort of caught up and, but then immediately it was like, so, you know, what's bringing you pain right now? Yeah. And we just did that for an hour and a half and talked it through. And each of us, we just like went back and forth. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, at the end of that, you feel so light and you're like, all right, so my problems are not as bad as I thought because like here's someone that I think of as being hyper successful and their problems are actually quite similar. Mm. And, you know, and then like, you know, it's always easier to tell someone else what to do than it is to do something on your own. Mm, And so it's just, you know, it just brings like, it brings clarity and confidence. I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, on that note, there were, I mean, one thing I was, I was thinking about, um, you know, on this broad topic was I had a, 
walk one time with Yancey in London where I'd really been agonizing over uh, a member of my exec team who'd been kind of underperforming for a while. And I was essentially, you know, I'd, I'd basically made the decision to, 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 to sort of let them go. But, you know, Yancey just said, you know, like, yeah, you should do that. And it's, it's, it's that external perspective where, you know, someone knows you well enough to not beat about the bush, but also, um, you know, has the distance to, to, to sort of help you, you know, kind of validate something that you can't really talk about necessarily with other members of your team. I think, you know, outside of the, you know, wrestling with, you know, the generic problem set that you, know, you face as a founder or CEO, I think the other thing that is sort of unique about the, what Yancy and I have is that we're both really, I guess, intellectually and emotionally curious about the intersection of art and culture and, you know, our, our businesses, um, I'm trying to make a contribution at that intersection and have been for a, for a long time now. And both of us have been doing this for, you know, close to 10 years. And so we're both really, really interested in, you know, where, you know, what is it that a creator wants from the internet? What is it that a consumer wants from the internet? Where are the tensions there? You know, what are the opportunities? What have you seen that's really cool? And a lot of, you know, there's, there's a, a sort of set of things, I guess we typically talk about, which is just the, should I, you know, what do you think about this issue in my management team? Or I've got this deal I'm looking at. Do you think it makes sense? Or board, board composition or whatever, those kinds of things. But the other half of what we talk about is like, I've got this kind of crazy idea about what I think is going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't really know if it's a good idea. What do you think about it? And it's feeling around the edges of um, the avant-garde ideas in our marketplace broadly where art meets tech. And that it's really unique to have someone to share that with because I I think it's it's sort of it's rare you meet people who are as you know as interested in both of those both of those areas and and kind of working at the, the kind of the cutting edge of it. Mm-hmm. Totally, and I think I think also I mean where how Ian and I met um, you know there's uh, there's this music conference in in Cannes uh, called Me Dim that we both went to uh, five or six years ago. And uh, there's a guy named Ian Rogers who was the head of Apple Music and the CEO of Beats Music and now has gone to Louis Vuitton because hmm. he's, you know, yeah. he's, he's gone to Louis Vuitton. And, uh, but just a great guy and, a good, and someone that like, he liked both of us. And so he brought us together into this house along with a couple other guys, um, you know, uh, Anthony Vlodkin from Hype Machine, this guy James Mao from 61, a few other people. But like all kind of like-minded people mm-hmm. of like techie art people who who just like are super fans and are really committed to a certain set of ideals. And I still feel like that's a cohort group that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And probably some of the people I most love and respect in this universe, like I just feel such a kinship with them. And it was just, you know, for Ian and I, we just shared a room together at a conference for four days, but it was... Uh, yeah, just create a very lasting and meaningful friendship that will take us long beyond our, you know, our current careers. Um, but it just, you know, just it just brought us together. And we all had just a very similar kind of perspective and value set. I'm, 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 I'm noting the importance of that sense of cohort, that sense of even if the businesses aren't precisely the same, right? You're both launching SaaS businesses or something like that. 
there's a sense of, of shared view of the world and shared experience that seems to have enhanced the relationship. Am I seeing that correctly? Yeah, I think I, I think also just the, you know, the, I think the number of people who are really obsessed with this little, this, this one kind of area of like, of, of like kind of business kind of creativity, like, technology is actually quite small and i think that uh it's kind of been we would that that happened to be a, a sort of a, a lucky meeting of lots of people i mean maybe not lucky when you consider that ian kind of put us all in a house but mm. um i think it was it was the fact that at, at that point in time this you know maybe the technology landscape was less you know frantic and the people working in that area were maybe people who were a little bit zagging against the grain a bit just because it was not necessarily an obvious thing to to build something, you know, like Songkick or like Kickstarter or Hype Machine or the 61 or um, Topspin, which is Ian's project. Mm. So I think, I think maybe the cohort was almost the fact that we were like slightly out of the, the hype cycle. I mean, I remember when I, when, I went, when, I, when I went to the house, I didn't actually know what a lot of other people's, I'd heard of other people's companies, but I didn't necessarily like, hadn't actually, you know, um, spent a ton of time playing with the products. And it was like a real chance to, uh, you know, like immerse myself in some other projects that were at a relatively early stage that I was kind of privileged enough to get to know when they were when they were being kind of in a in a really an experimental phase before they'd kind of blown up. Do you have that with Y Combinator at all, Ian? You were you were early YC. Is that are though I mean are like are these community sort of things quite typical? Like ours is maybe just more specific than is usual. I mean what what's what's your sense of that? I think with Y Combinator, um, so many of the of, of the startups stayed in uh, stayed in California after we finished the batch. That there was kind of a really really strong San Francisco based kind of offline network that maybe made it a bit challenging to preserve the same kind of closeness if you were if you were based remotely. I mean, I you know I see people like Drew Houston and Daniel Ha when I'm over in San Francisco, but it's, it's just a bit different because I think they were all like, you know, in the same apartment block for two years afterwards. Um, and that just creates different kinds of, of connections. I think, you know, way I, the, the other kind of, you know, the, the, the friendship I have with Yancy is very, a very unique one, but other close kind of relationships I have in the startup world, I think there's one thing in common um, that kind of, that, that sort of has led to them, which is, you know, one party makes a decision to share something they're seriously stressed about, mm. um, gets help, and then something is kind of forged, a new kind of trust. And it's pretty hard to do because usually the thing is fairly massive. So, you know, um, just thinking about a friend of mine in London, you know, he, he was about to go through like a really horrific experience with his business and he just needed someone to talk it over with. He called me. I didn't really know him that well, but he sort of unburdened himself and then you know, when something was going on with me, I called him back. And I think, you know, probably I've read some of your, um, your blog posts, Jerry, and I think it's this, there's a kind of, I suppose, like a sudden moment of like nakedness, I guess, where you're just like sharing something really raw and really like sensitive and something you just are like scared to tell anyone else. But that is the thing that ultimately opens up the, the ability to share those things going forward. And then at some point it just becomes like, like zero fear to share things you're pretty, 
you know, things that have that same quality. I mean, if I, like something was crazy going on with Songkick, I would just call Yancy and I wouldn't even really think about the fact that I was telling him something that is, whereas if it was any other, you know, any other person, I would feel a, a lot more vulnerable. Yeah. So I think, I think that, you know, you never get a relationship like the one that Yancy and I have, or the Yancy has with other peers, um, or I do without that first moment of it kind of extreme vulnerability. Yeah. I, let, let me jump in and, and, uh, thank you for sharing that story because I think you, you with that uh, observation, you really bring out a very important point, which is that if you're going to avail yourself of this kind of support, someone has to go first. Someone has to be willing to open up and be real, be authentic, be vulnerable. And share what's really going on. What I what I often do at the, the start of the boot camps is, I I lay out a notion which is, the bullshit stops here, the whole we're killing it notion, the way startup CEOs and founders will try to kind of do a, an almost dance around each other and pretend that everything is great, when of course it's not. It doesn't mean everything sucks. It just means it's it's not as great as you want to tell your investors it is. And by doing so, to your point, Ian, you make yourself available for the kind of support that a that a really good friend and peer can deliver. I think the other thing I'd say on that on that topic is like. Uh... Paul Graham once said something to me where he said, like, you know, if you are involved with enough startups, you realize that every startup is fucked and yes. um, no startups are actually like as good as they look from the outside. And I think, you know, it's easy to hear that, but it's really, really hard to believe that when you're like reading TechCrunch every day. And I remember one time, like, uh, you know, I, I had one day where I had a call with Yancy and I had a call with another friend of mine. Um, and, you know, I think that Kickstarter is one of the most, you know, phenomenally disruptive, transformative, awesome companies on the internet. And, you know, my other friend has you know, a similar business and both of them were just dealing with really, really bad days. You know, there's like tons of stuff that was hard to deal with and challenging and really stressful. And I remember thinking, wow, like this is like, this is the, this is all, I should really just take Paul's, Paul Graham's statement as gospel now. Like I'm probably not going to get more evidence at this point. <laughs> And it was, it, it was very like, a, it was kind of like a weird, weird moment when I just thought like how much of a disservice we all do each other by not being more real in public. You know, it's, it's somehow, I don't know, it's like the, the, the need to play a certain narrative out for the press is, as I think, actually like pretty harmful to most founders' psychology. I, I think you said it really well. I think one of the most important things that I try to do is normalize the entire range of experiences. And, and, you know, as I often say, just because you feel like shit doesn't mean you are shit. And, you know, that, there, that, that just because your company is fucked up doesn't mean it's more fucked up than the company down the street. And it also doesn't mean you're going to fail. It just means all companies start off in this sort of unhealthy, dysfunctional, crazy state. And the movement is towards a kind of more functional, while still maintaining a kind of dysfunctional state as you move across the maturation of the business. And I, 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 
Go ahead, Yancy. Well, it's just, it's, it's, you know, I agree. I agree with Ian that, you know, it'd be nice if everyone could be real, but it, it is kind of the, the prisoner's dilemma sort of situation where all it takes is one person to not be real and it just ruins it for everybody. Right. right. I mean, it's like a lot of people standing up and saying, these are all things that are wrong with me. And then someone else stands up and says, well, like all my shit's great. I don't know what's wrong with these people. Like do business right. with me. Right. You know, and that's just, and that's, there's just yeah. always that. There's just always that. Right. Yeah. The stable so, equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to figure out, I mean, it's funny, I, you know, on the internet, on, on Twitter, things like that, like, I don't really say anything about mm. Kickstarter, uh, or talk about what I'm experiencing. I just see no benefit to it. I'd love to have the time to be like writing very open diaries about what's going on, but I just, you know, oh, it's hard and it's like high risk. Um, but when I do talks and like take Q and A's from the audience, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't hold anything back. I just feel like. Uh, especially if it's other entrepreneurs or just like younger people in the room, I just want them to understand that like, yeah, they came here to hear like the Kickstarter guy talk and I'm the Kickstarter guy and, you know, and, and, and I'm like, have tons of anxiety and, you know, experience a lot of challenging things. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I had a meeting recently with a guy who does something, runs something similar to Kickstarter and he's been doing it a lot longer than us. And, um, yeah, just really good work, but like not very well recognized. And, uh, we had met because he had, we had met before, but he had written something negative about Kickstarter publicly. Mm. Uh, and so some mutual friends put us in touch and we met and he kind of apologized and admitted, you know, that he had just sort of felt jealous about the success or, you know, he, he just had felt like some of the credit going to Kickstarter, like why shouldn't some of that go his way? And, um, but he, you know, he was like open about this. And I, I really, I really thought that was awesome, you know? And, and I, I, in the conversation, I was just, you know, just expressed real gratitude and expressed a real appreciation for what he has done. And, you know, um, but you know what I wanted to say, but I, I didn't know how was just, yeah, I feel jealous of people all the time. You know, like I, I'm in the same boat just with like, I have my, you know, I just as I am something to you, I have my own versions of that. And, and, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think about, you know, what is it, what are the ways to find that sort of, um, I don't know, to not, just to not feel that, to really be able to, to not, to not feel like everything is zero sum and that someone else winning means you're losing and you're holding yourself up to these unrealistic expectations. Like all those things are quite hard and it's quite hard when, everyone's putting out there, you know, an avatar of what their experience is. And it is built around, you know, hyper success, hyper success and, uh, an incredible work, work ethic, you know, that that's what everyone's trying to communicate. And yeah. So it's like, you have a Saturday afternoon and it's like, well, you know, I kind of just like want to watch basketball and maybe go for a walk with my wife. But like, man, the Uber guy right now, he's probably like learning how to play the cello speaking and and learning Spanish and like Portuguese. It's much different. And and doing meditation with the LinkedIn guy on a jet over Japan right now. Like who am I, you know? And it's just, there's this great Franklin FDR quote that comparison is the thief of joy because there's always someone better than you. And I, I, I still don't have like the strength to fully not feel that, but 
I, you know, it's gotten better with age, but it's, it's, it's still there. Yeah. Well, it's I definitely I, still I, there. I think you're on to something in giving yourself relief from that relentless sense of comparison, which by the way, I think is rooted in this sort of sense of inadequacy that we're never really good enough. And, 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 the thing that I hear you both doing for each other is being able to laugh about that with somebody who gets it and to sort of cut through things and to be able to say, yeah, you know, this is, this is what I've got. And there's a joke. And, and then you move on and then you go for a walk with your wife. Yeah. yeah. I think just yeah. on that, on that kind of subject of being real, I mean, I think Yancey's point about prison's dilemma is, is bang on. And I think that, um, I think that there is like, it is an unstable equilibrium being like super real. I think though, um, it's interesting to see how far you can take it. Like, and I was just thinking of another, another story on that note, which is, um, I remember when we were, when we were closing our, uh, series B rounds, um, there's a, there's a guy who's been an amazing mentor to me over the years, a guy called Greg McAdoo, who used to be at Sequoia and is now, uh, doing, doing something quite interesting and different. And, um, we, we had a call where I was really nervous cause I, I was, we were, we were about to sort of sign everything with Sequoia. And I basically knew that one aspect of our kind of something in, in our sort of presentation that looked really, really good. Wasn't actually that good. Like the underlying fundamentals weren't as strong as they looked. And I'd been, you know, I'd, I'd kind of, I think kind of let things get away a bit in terms of that thing being perceived as like a real runaway train. And I, I was really scared I was going to get in a situation where I had a board member who had a, you know, we had sort of set up, set up our dynamic of essentially having to create hype rather than just being able to have an honest, open, direct conversation about, you know, the nature, the true nature of the business. Mm. Um, and I, I, I sort of went out for breakfast with him and I took a, I, well, I, well, it felt at the time like a ginormous risk because we hadn't closed this money yet. You know, it was critical financing for the business. And I just said, look, I, I need to be straight with you about something like I, this, this, this thing that, you know, this, this aspect of our growth is, you know, really great for the short term. But I think the underlying fundamentals are, are unsustainable and I want to make a bunch of changes so that this thing happens, that we have a more fund, you know, more, uh, more, more um, sustainable, fundamental kind of uh, driver of this growth. Um, and he said, you know, and I remember just like having this moment of like sort of my oh. stomach falling out a bit. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then he said, well, you know, actually I'd kind of already twigged that and I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's crack on with, with, with you know, with, with fixing it. Um, and I, you know, I think you're dead right to prioritize that. And we just moved on. And then, you know, about... I guess a few months after we closed that round, I had a call with him where again, I'd just been giving him a bit of bad news about a few things. And I sort of sent him an email afterwards just saying, Hey, sorry, it was such a, you know, so much, so much, so much bad news. We, uh, hopefully more good stuff in, on our next call. And, um, he just shot me this note and he said, you know, uh, our job is to, is to deal with the, uh, with the facts as they are, not how we wish they'd be. Um, that's what we get paid to do. Uh, I thought it was a great call. And I think, you know, uh, you know, I do, I do think it's incumbent on us to push to push to a world where you can be real. Um, even though I, I think as Yancey said, there's probably some ceiling on how effective we can be at it. Certainly at least when you have a, a any kind of a real private relationship, you know, I'd, I'd hope you can get there. Yeah. I, I, I really applaud 
that story, I applaud both of you because he obviously created the conditions where you could be brave and tell him the truth and the facts as they are. And then his response was ideal. You know, uh, you know, we're planning a, a boot camp for VCs. And uh, a couple of my clients have already sort of raised their eyebrows and said, oh, my goodness, that's incredible. But one of the things that we want to be teaching is exactly what Andrew said to you, which is that the, the, the job of a director, the job of an investor is to deal with the facts as they are, not as we wish them to be. And so much... Um, dissension and, and discomfort comes from being in conflict around that. Um, I love the implicit trust that seems to be in that relationship. And it stemmed in, in part from you saying the truth. And that, that creates a, you know, as we were talking about before, there's a vulnerability in being able to do that. But it, but it ends up speaking volumes about your leadership. So I really, really applaud you for that. You know, we build these peer groups, and um, we encourage a lot of folks to come together and, and talk about things. And one of the basic tenets is this notion of what we call no fixing, which we've taken from our, our kind of patron saint, Parker Palmer. And it's the notion that when people are coming together, there's no setting the other person straight. There's no fixing them. It's primarily built around the notion of them listening to each other. And then if advice is sought, advice is given. I don't know. Does, what do you think about this notion? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that uh, I don't know, your first job is to be like a attentive pair of ears, you know, for the other person. Um, I mean, you definitely learn, I don't know, I think, I think just as a leader, you learn, you know, just, just how to be a good listener and how to, you know, really just be sorting through what someone is saying and thinking about it from a few different perspectives, both what they're seeing, what you're seeing, what you've seen before. And I don't know, my mind is always immediately like working towards just trying to see some insights or see it from different perspectives. Um, but I'm also you know, quite confident that Ian has probably already thought of a lot of those things, but you're just trying to, you're just trying to be another set of ears, another set of eyes for the other person. Um, because sometimes it is, it's just helpful just to talk out loud about something at the end. You're just like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm asking for here. I just, you know, just, you know, just, this is just, this is just, you know, on my mind and I don't know where else to go with it. Yeah. And I needed to be heard. I don't know. Ian, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I enjoy a little bit of tough love. So sometimes, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I like people to, to sort of, I enjoy it when people want to like kind of wade in and, and, and try and fix my opinion sometimes. Right. Um, Ian, dude, just fire the guy. <laughs> yeah, right. I think, um, no, I think for me, like, I just think um, there's, I think people fall into two fairly distinct camps. I think some people really want to, want to be heard. And I think some people want someone to help them solve a problem. And I think, you know, it's help, you know, you, it's important to, to differentiate because I do think that, you know, sometimes you have a much more passive role to play and sometimes you have a much more active, challenging kind of provocative role to play in helping someone resolve their, whatever's going on with them. Um, 
I would say that actually like Yancey and I tend to be more on the provocateur kind of end of the spectrum with each other just because I think we find it fun and um, I think it almost like is a little, you know, a, a good example would be the, uh, the, the thing that um, the, 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 the speech that Yancey recently delivered um, about sort of being a different kind of company. Mm. Um, you know, he, he sent that to me beforehand as a draft and we talked about it a bit over the phone and over dinner. And, you know, I felt like a more interesting and, you know, kind of thing for him there would be to really like take a strong devil's advocate position on some of the issues and really play it out a bit. Because I think he knew that I broadly exist, agree with most of the, the central tenets, but, um, you know, one of the points I made to him is, you know, um, a lot of the things you describe about a sort of the idealized company we both kind of agree about may just be things that are only achievable if you happen to have a unique monopoly in a great market. And if you don't, then maybe this stuff isn't possible. You know, like maybe you do have to do some tax evasion or whatever the other things <laughs> on, on, his, on his list were. And, um, you know, I kind of, you know, my, 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 my view is probably somewhere in the middle, but I think, uh, I think one, we're both drawn to provocative ideas, particularly around the domain that we, 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 we live and breathe. And I think it is, it is fun to, you know, to, to sometimes come and try and shake someone's worldview up a bit. And like, that can be as much, that can be as therapeutic as, uh, as just someone listening, listening attentively. Yeah, that was, uh, that, that. That conversation is one of my more memorable conversations of this year, and it was it was Kickstarter. We were like a week away from announcing that we were becoming a public benefit corporation, and we had put a lot into this, and I was quite proud of it. And so uh, I sent to Ian what it was that we were going to do, and uh, yeah, and then Ian just wrote back this like quite critical email hmm. that that was just like, you know, I think this stuff is interesting and good, but I also think that these are things that you only have the opportunity to do because of your market position and the expectation that other companies should do this is like wrong. And I suddenly, I mean, it's that response like hurt me. It hurt my feelings. Uh, and like, it kind of, you know, and, and it hurt my pride, right? Because here I wanted, I wanted someone that I really love and care about to say like, way to go, man. So proud of you. And here he's like, yeah, I don't know. I think that this is cool, but also like, also maybe this is, you know, maybe this is, you're doing this from a place of privilege and it's not as legit as you think it is. And, um, and he ended up calling me after that, I think, because he thought maybe that had been too strong, but it was, it was actually really helpful for me just to think about it from a very different perspective. And, you know, just to really make sure there was humility around this thing and, and that, you know, just to not to presume certain things about yourself just because we're able to do that. But, you know, no one else in my life talked to me about it that way no one else. And I, and I was just so appreciative of that. It's a, it's a beautiful story. It reminds me of something I just said in a coaching session this morning. I said, you know, great coaching isn't about telling the client what they want to hear. It's about telling the client what they need to hear. And I think that Ian told you what you needed to hear more than he told you what you wanted to hear. I mean, I, I do think a bit of it is just Yancy and I both just like like, you know, being a bit cheeky and provocative. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to talk, talk it all up to like optimal, like, you know, uh, but it's, I think it's just, you know, it's just, it's fun playing around with the real edges of ideas, you know, and, and I think that's what we both 
that's the ultimate shared, you know, shared thing that Yancy and I have is we're both really drawn to where there's a lot of, um, a lot of intellectual, where you can invest a lot of intellectual energy as someone running a business. Mm. You know, I think we're interested in those, like those, those edges. Um, and I think, you know, the nature of those edges is you, you can, you know, you can really oscillate on your position and, and play with things a lot. Well, I, I really want to thank the two of you for, for, you know, in a sense, I feel like I've been invited into one of your sessions with each other and, and, and I feel honored and privileged to, to sort of watch it unfold. You know, so many of the ways in which you are supporting each other are exactly the kinds of things that I would recommend to people. And I love the fact that, you know, Yancy and I have worked together now for a while, but, but I love the fact that you guys have each other. Um, it, and Ian, I, I have to be honest with you, now I understand why Yancy's such a good CEO, because he's got you. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much for doing this. I know that um, the folks who listen to the podcast really are going to benefit from this kind of dialogue. And my hope in having this conversation is that they, whether it's formally or informally, that, uh, that each of them find them an Ian or a Yancy in their life and that they really uh, grow and benefit from that. So thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Jerry. Cool, thanks. Thanks, Jerry. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together.